Welcome to Redefining Reality, where we live at the intersection of wellness, business, and the birth of a global tribe. So relax your body mind, open your heart, and recognize that we are the ones we've been waiting for. Beautiful people, powerful people, welcome back to another episode of Redefining Reality. This is a fantastic, if I do say so myself, episode that I've been wanting to put together for a while. It's a trialogue with two of my favorite people, Mr. Darren Austin Hall, the sound shaman, druid, world traveler, yogi, Chinese medicine practitioner extraordinaire, and Brett Haas, the Tamarack Man, holistic nutritionist, health coach, musician, father of two amazing little superheroes, and just two men who really have had a profound impact on my life, two men that I look up to. And uh, you'll hear a little bit about how I met them uh, in my journey into Toronto living. And yeah, they've both been very inspirational to me, very inspirational and people whom I can model myself after and really identify and resonate with. Um, in the episode, we talk a lot about indigenous culture and experiences. They actually met on a sacred spot where they were holding ritual and ceremony. And uh, a lady named Diane, Diane Longboat was their teacher there. I have yet to look into her teachings, but from what I understand, she's a pretty powerful woman. Not pretty. She's a powerful woman and a keeper of this medicine. And uh, I'm fascinated more and more about all this stuff. I'm fascinated with the idea of tribe and the idea of being with the earth, being part of nature, reintegrating ourselves with the bigger order, the natural order of things, finding harmony in that way. I feel like it's probably the only, the only real sustainable way forward is some sort of, a, you know, taking the best of the past, the best of the present, and mixing them together to create a beautiful, sustainable, health-filled, fulfillment-filled future. So we talked a bit about that. We talked about some books. And just to make it clear, uh, Brett is the first one who speaks. So he's got a bit of a, he's from South Africa. He's got a bit of a South African accent to him and a bit of a... Uh, more booming voice so that's brett and then darren follows and um yeah both just awesome people we had a fantastic time jumped into quite a few things different books different teachings teachers that have had an impact on their lives and i've put a bunch of that stuff into the show notes so if you want to look these things up and dive into them for yourself please do as always your support is much appreciated so if you want to hop into itunes and like, rate, review, subscribe. You don't like in iTunes. You could like on social media and share. Any little bit of internet love that you want to throw our way is much appreciated. So we can get this message out and keep this show going and keep the uh, audience expanding. 
So with that, I'll, I'll wrap it up. I'll wrap it up. I hope you're doing well. I trust you're doing well. If you're tuned into this, you're doing better than a lot of people, in, uh, in my humble opinion. And uh, yeah, stay beautiful, be well, and enjoy this trialogue with Brett Hawes and Darren Austin Hall. Peace. So we are here for another episode of Redefining Reality, our first trialogue, which I'm excited to have. Trialogue. Trialogue, yeah, as opposed to a dialogue. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm here with two good friends, two men I consider mentors, taught me a lot along the way, and that is Mr. Darren Austin Hall and Mr. Brett Hawes. And uh, we're going to get into all sorts of stuff. Uh, I'm just excited to... First of all, maybe we can kick this off with how you guys met, because I went to school, Brett taught me in the holistic nutrition school, and then I met Darren through the ecstatic dance world in Toronto. Um, and then I come to realize afterward that they've known each other for quite some time. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll give my version of the story, my Please, side, yeah, which is um, there was many years ago, I'm not sure even when that was, like maybe 2006 seven, or eight, seven, somewhere around there. Um, I'd been living part-time, really just going up every every week, spending two to three nights a week up there with um, a native community near the Grand River, uh, Six Nations community. And um, one day Darren walked into ceremony and um, he started coming to the men's circles and to ceremony uh, as much as I was going as well. And that's that's really that's really it, right? And um, ever since then, you know, we uh, we, we were pretty were pretty connected at that time. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of went off and, and branched in your own way, and I've continued doing my thing. But uh, nonetheless, we've always remained friends. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I love we we just see each other in the most beautiful occasions, like at Olmore, Pedestrian Sunday at Kensington. Always seems to be really powerful places. But yeah, meeting up there was so, I, I remember being really impressed by Brett. We had like super epic conversations. Yeah. And I remember once, I think it was like, we, we had to do sweat lodges each time we were up there. And one And we do it all year round. I remember once it was like in the winter and you would have to have shifts because you have to get these grandfather stones going at like mm -hmm. two, three in the morning was like the first yeah. shift. Yeah. Then cooking these stones for hours so that we were ready to go at dawn for the sweat lodge. And I mean, they were, these were hardcore people at like, it was like minus 25. Yeah, minus we're like sleeping by the sacred right fire, which was yeah. nice and cozy. But then I think Brett and I had a shift at like six in the morning. So I remember yeah. just standing out there and having this profound conversation telling you about Izzy and like this prophecy with a pyramid and stuff. And it was like a blizzard around us. And yeah. it was like a real masculine moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like <laughs> braving the elements. Yeah, to make this fire burn. It was it was pretty powerful. That was definitely one of the mm -hmm. things I remember the most. And, and talking about music too, because you were really into music yeah. at that time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or no, of, you had just gotten out of music, but you were talking about wanting to transform. Or yeah, I mean, the music side of things is, uh, it's, it's as you know, um, if you're a musician, it, it ebbs and flows and Absolutely. it's its own journey within itself. So, um, yeah, so I put that on the back burner a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. Focus on other things, you know. And Bill C five one, I remember he Brett was a huge uh, activist as mm -hmm. well at that time. Yeah, those were good times. Um, raised a lot of hell, stirred some, yeah. uh, stirred things up a little bit, and uh, got you know got the word out there. Yeah, so. I, I remember going to a protest one day, and there was Brett. And you were like, you were dressed up in like a dapper kind of suit. You know, when you get on the news, you know. The yeah, news, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was leading this. Well, he was one of the leaders of this protest against Bill C five one. And whatever happened to that bill, by the way? It it, it got thrown out. 
got through now. So okay. we kind of... So it worked. It worked. It yeah, worked. It, worked. Nice. it was great. Right. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm curious what even, uh, and we can take one at a time, but what drew you to want to go and spend time with indigenous communities and be on the land in that way? Like what was the, where did the inklings come from? Hmm. Why don't you start? Because I've never actually heard your first. So um, for me, I'll sort of back up a step and give yeah, you yeah. The, the longer, the longer version, I guess, which is, you know, I left, I left home in Africa in the late nineties and I traveled the world. Um, I used London as a base and I always said to myself, I'm not traveling to first world countries as you know, I've obviously been to them and whatnot, but that was never ever a focal point for me. The focal point was always going to developing countries and really sort of getting off the beaten path to see how other people live. And so, um, you know, traveling the whole East coast of Africa, um, most of Southern Africa, um, a large part of Asia as well, and really sort of getting out there, I always made an effort to try and spend time with indigenous people. I can't really say what it was, but to be honest, I think that it was the music, the the, the music scene that I've been a part of for more than half my life now. You know, it's very much spiritual overtones, has its roots in India and Goa and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's a little new agey, but it's not new agey. There's also a lot of the 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 old traditional um, spiritual overtones there, and so I think that that sort of really fueled me going to explore these kinds of places. And so, when I came to Canada, um, I actually got booked to play a show in I think it was '99 or something like that. I got booked to play a show here, so I came and did the show. And the first thing I said to to the people that bought me, I said, um, "Take me to the natives." And they looked at me and they were like, "What?" what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, take me to the natives. Like, you know, I know that there's natives living here. Like, where are they? Can we go and just like hang out or something? And they looked at me like I was a little crazy and they sort of said, no, we don't really know any natives. And I was like, well, okay. So came back again for another show and then finally moved back in, moved here in 2003. And so that whole period from 2003 for about a year, a year and a half, um, it was on the radar. And I was sort of just put it out there. Um, Everyone I spoke to, no one actually knew natives. No one actually could introduce me to anyone in in a formal setting or or in a friend setting or whatever. So what ended up happening was, um, as the universe would be, um, I received an email, a random email that said, hey, so-and-so mentioned that you were interested in this. You don't really know us, but if you want to come up, there's a ceremony going on on uh, this weekend. And... um, Turns out that it was actually Mona and Marco from ITM, so the Institute of Traditional Medicine. And I don't know how, I I just forget because it was a while ago, but I don't know how that whole situation got connected, but that's how we got connected. They took me up there and we did the first ceremony and um, uh, one of of the elders, um, Frank, I remember at the end of the day, I was like, thank you so much. This This was like the best day. And uh, he just looked at me and he said, welcome home. I was like, well, you're right on. Like, I do feel like I'm at home. And from then on, I just went up there at least um, every couple of weeks. But it started getting very, very frequent. And um, it's it's just, I don't know. It, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, as we push on. But it's just a different, it's a different type of spirituality. It's a different practice. It's It's just different you know, from um, Buddhism, Hinduism, and other practices around the world. And so, of course, being more earth-based medicine, being more earth-based spirituality, that really drew me in. 
Um, you know, a lot of the yogic uh, practices and stuff like that are very ascension based, whereas native spirituality is very descension based and earth based. And that was something that always really, really appealed to me. And um, I, I found out why, you know, through my own self-discovery and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I think that's that kind of sums it up for me. Um, that's great. Yeah, I, I really resonate with the dissension thing. I mean, yeah, for me, it was actually the same people, Mona and Marco, because I was actually a student at Institute Traditional right, Medicine. Yeah. And they, they took us up there actually for um, a field trip, a stayover, um, you know, uh, I think it was the first year I was at this school and they didn't really tell us much about it. They just took us up and they had this, they have this beautiful property on, on the Grand River and mm -hmm. it goes down to the Grand River. It's just this long strip of land and uh, they had this beautiful sacred fire uh, lodge with this fire that at that time I think it had been burning six, seven years straight. Yeah. And it only went out twice. There was a reason for that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, I mean, just hearing, like, just being like, to me, I just remember being overwhelmed, like meeting Frank who became our, our mutual teacher and then sitting around this fire and meeting, uh, Diane, the elder. Um, and I just remember the moment Diane would speak, I would just be crying within mm -hmm. like 10 mm -hmm. minutes. Cause, and I find this when you really meet like really authentic indigenous teachers, cause they have, they like, we're missing something, right? We're totally yeah. missing that yeah. sense of spirituality in the, the earth. Yeah. So when they start to speak about the spirits of the lands and the animals and, and they do so, so poignantly, like they've really lived it, not yeah. like an intellectual way. I, I don't know. For me, it just, it would always hit something in my heart. And I just, I think I've just, I was more crying from just what we've lost, I think, more yeah. than anything. Yeah. But I was, I was just super affected. And then I remember they're like, yeah, as far as remember six, seven years, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, who are you people? Like, I want to, yeah. I, I want to work with you. And, and they said, yeah, well, you can come back and we do these men's so circles there's women's circles too and and i just like bread i just started going like every few weeks and and for about two years it was just like that yeah. was that was my path it was really really intense and and amazing like i learned so much mm -hmm. and and it was very different from anything else that i would have learned in yoga or anything it was i think that was the draw it felt like really real and and the yeah. need to just connect with the earth mm -hmm. yeah i mean the the intention you, you, you will not find intention like that with most people. It's not just intention like we have uh, an end goal to build a business or build a following or what. There, there was none of that. The intention was, this is our medicine. This is where we live. This is our home. This is, if you, if you want to like learn and listen to us, great. If you don't, that's fine too. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There was no real hidden agenda or bigger agenda. The agenda was basically just to ignite that spark in as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. And then to take that message, which is what they do and travel around the world and light fires. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was, that was really their end goal. I think, um, you know, now they've moved on a little bit and they've sort of, you know, grown and expanded and they've got a school and they've got all sorts of other stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But um, back in those days, for sure, it was, uh, you know, that, that's what it was. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a highlight of my spiritual development for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, that for me was, was by far the, the, the life changing time, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, for also for, for, for men who are in their early twenties, you know, at that point I was in my late twenties, mm -hmm. but I traveled a lot. I didn't really have a place that How I called. Um, I'm going on 40. Okay, I'm yeah. 37. So. Yeah, so you know, back then, um, that that's that's 
mid twenties to late twenties for, for men, that's a real powerful time for maturity, for self-discovery, you know, a lot of the sort of stuff that when you're immature in your early twenties, um, you know, you start to really question things. You start to grow up a little bit. You start to, you know, evolve. Um, if, if you're conscious of that anyway, um, you know, that's, that's the time. And so I think that it was really one of those moments where the timing couldn't have been better. Let's put it that way. The timing couldn't have been better. Like if that happened any earlier in my life, I might not have resonated in the same mm. way, but it was just, you know, I put it out there and I was like, oh, I need to work with the natives. I need to work with the natives. And actually what happened was I went to, um, I went out to a forest party in BC. It was um, same music thing. I wasn't, I wasn't playing, but a bunch of my friends were playing and it was out in logging country in the middle of nowhere. Um, crazy crazy scene you know i mean huge river glacial river mountains like epic epic you know forests um and and sacred sacred native land and on that land i just had the most like profound experience um, i won't get into it too much but it was like it was just one of those you know crack crack the realms open and go for it and it was right after that trip it was literally three days later that i got the email and i went to the natives Wow. But okay. I'd been putting, yeah, I'd been putting it out there and putting it out there and then had this epiphany, this full on, like, I don't want to say breakdown moment because it wasn't breakdown. It was like a breakthrough moment. And, and then, then, you know, serendipitously got this email and I was like, whoa, this is happening. Right. And so right. went straight there and like off we went. Well, I love that. And I often find, I don't know if you can have a breakthrough without having a breakdown. No, well, they always say break, 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 breakdown is a breakthrough, yeah, right? Breakdown to breakthrough, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. And what, what it, that sparks for me, and having just recently listened to Iron John, right, this book on masculinity and growing up, it sounds like, it's, you know, maybe subconsciously, you're looking for a way to initiate yourself. I think so many of us are doing that, right? Whether we know it or not, there's a biological need, a human need to be initiated into something that's bigger than us, right? That sort of puts us in our place and aligns us with the greater order. And it feels like the indigenous cultures are the only ones who really have hung on to that and protected that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the state of that is even to this day, like on, on reserves, are they still doing traditional initiations? I know you've been to some, um, it's, it's a mixed bag. It, it's a, it's yeah. a real mixed bag. I mean, the state of the state of reserves is, is a pretty sad state to be honest with you. Um, out of, I was th- this a reserve you guys were going to? It was near. It, it, it was, it was reserve, on the right? other side of the river. So yeah. the reserve was on that side of the river. We were on this side. And, was it like a little camp? Um, they had land. They had about 10 acres, I think. Yeah, it was actually uh, Vivi. Yeah. She's, was she yeah. Brazilian or Portuguese? Um, or? She's, no, Spanish, but I'm not sure from where. Yeah. So it was and a so few... And so are we talking teepees or buildings? No, this was actually or... a... They lived in a... It was like a really nice house. They okay. did have teepees on it as well. Yeah. But it was kind of like a commune structure. There was, um, there was, I guess, four of Jackie, Cindy, Frank, and Vivi who were living in that. They home. were living in the house, yeah. And uh, and only Jackie and Cindy were native, uh, really. And then Frank and Vivi were just uh, Frank's Italian. Yeah. And then Diane, their elder, their teacher lived, who was also our elder and teacher, lived very she nearby. Lived down, yeah, she lived down, down the road. Street. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so, um, but obviously in those ceremonies, a lot of the local native community were involved in that yes, as well. They would yes. come, you know, because when you start, you know, talking about Diane Longboat, um, that, 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 that's a serious name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been to other circles and I'm like, oh, Diane Longboat's my teacher. And they're like, oh, okay. So, yeah. 
you know, that she, she's the real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but coming back to the state of the reserves, you know, the unfortunate thing is that a lot of the water is, is, is poisoned. Some might actually say intentionally, depending on who you speak to. So they don't have a lot of clean water. Um, access to food is also not that great. You know, you find a lot of fast food chains, uh, McDonald's, KFC, stuff like that is actually perfectly positioned on the outskirts of the reserves. And of course, because of poverty, um, alcoholism and whatnot, um, people are really, the, the, the food that they eat is definitely not um, a traditional diet. I mean, mm. it, it, you know, diabetes and that is also rampant amongst the native population. So um, that said, though, you know, the, the, the group that we were working with, um, they, they've now sort of formally called themselves Soul of the Mother. Um, they, they, their mission is really to go and um, to go and teach and reinstill these old ways, you know, the, the sort of like getting the na getting the native um, the natives to to embrace their culture, to embrace their identity, and to figure out, you know, this is actually where you come from. You know, forget about what what people in the West are saying and what the white man says; that it's irrelevant. This is actually who you are as a people, and so that's really what their whole mo is: is to go and light these fires and and do that. So, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I don't know what the status is of of what's going on out there. I mean, we've got people that are definitely trying to change the situation. Um, how much has it changed over the last 10, 20 years? I really don't know. And and I think that a lot of people would probably say not very much. Yeah, well, I know some of this is still available just from the experience that you shared of the three-day fast at the Turtle Lodge. Right, right, yes. And so just describe that a little bit for people so they know it's out there like this. Yeah. This is happening. Well, it's, uh, I mean, Dave Kershane is, um, I think he's Diane's teacher. And yeah. he, he's, he's this amazing Anishinaabe elder. I mean, also very serious dude, like, because uh, I was planning a tour this year that uh, never got off the ground. It was just too much work. But I was in touch with a few First Nation activists, and I would mention, you know, I'd done this work with Dave, and, and they were like, oh, well, if, if people know you worked with Dave, that's like... Because yeah. a lot of, like, and part of this tour is we wanted to go around to a lot of reserves and stuff. And I was specifically trying to reach out to activists and First Nations people to know about the sensitivities. Because I was like, I don't want to just be this token white dude showing up. And, like, it's not a savior thing. I just want to go and actually create dialogue and figure out, like, how can we really help creating an integrated, you know, community in this, in this culture. Because I really feel that the indigenous yeah. are going to lead us in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, Dave, Dave I got connected to. And uh, he runs um, this place called the Turtle Lodge, which is this beautiful structure in the shape of a turtle, a big wooden building that he's constructed just through visions with spirit um, to, yeah, revitalize the ways of their culture to, to really get them feeling proud and initiate those old ways again. But in, in innovations, too, such as this vision quest, he's opened it up now to all cultures, which is something Diane was doing, too. And I wonder, maybe he inspired Diane or vice versa. I don't know. But. They, they've opened up a lot of their teachings to all cultures, you know, because they realize we're in a crisis time and these wisdoms are very nourishing for people. So mm -hmm. I went up to um, do this three-day thing back in 2012, their traditional vision quest. And uh, yeah, one of the most impacting moments of my life. I mean, and it was very interesting how it all turned out. Like I had applied to do it. You have to apply back in January. It happens in June. Uh, you have to start doing fasts every week uh there's different exercises and they ramp things up so that by the time you go out there for your three days without food and water you're kind of prepared and and i actually like uh for some reason i didn't 
get an email back until about 10 days before the vision quest seeing my name on the list i was like whoa and i i was in touch with marco as well because i was like because they said you know come do it and i was like oh my gosh i haven't even prepared and they're like well i think i think you're supposed to mm -hmm. so i i went and did it but it was like wow i did a juice fast for like five days and like kind of was like okay i'm just getting into this and and it was super powerful. I mean, three days just out in the wilderness in Manitoba, near this place called Manitoba, which is considered one of the most sacred sites in all of Turtle Island, where they say creator sat to create Turtle Island itself. And we were near there, just in wilderness, you know, and you're doing these uh, this fast to basically as an offering to to Mother Earth to bestow you with, with a vision and great spirit. And I kind of didn't expect, I was humble. I was like, you know, I'm just going to have a great detox. I didn't you know, I, I did my prioritize very fast. There wasn't a, as much intention as I wanted. I didn't expect anything, but man, I, I got visions, like really stunning visions and really, really um, right to the essence of who I am and what my mission is supposed to be. Like, and those those visions were so aligning that when I came back to Toronto, that the, the hardest thing was actually coming back and being back in the city and realizing we are so missing out on this wisdom that was so integral. Like the things that were said to me on that, in those visions were so essential to my growth. And just realizing none of us really have that living in the city, that, that, that loss really like devastated me. And it's still, that devastation is still living on in kind of the work I'm trying to do now. Mm. Because I feel like if we don't get back in touch with the earth, you know, and the environmental crisis is, is so real, but it's so often like quantified with inconvenient truths. And it's like people are missing out. It's like we need to save it for also the wisdom that we get to align ourselves and that spiritual connection. And that's unfortunately hard for a lot of people to digest. But that's the work that I really want to start stepping into because that's, mm -hmm. that's what we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's such a disconnect and, and especially in the city, just so much distortion and so much busyness um, that it's it's difficult to connect. You know, that's something that my wife and I, like we're we're actually looking right now, um, at, we're getting out of the city. Um, mm. That's happening at this present moment. We're actively looking for places and uh, and we're ready to go, you know, because we both see the value in, it, we, we just see the value in what does the future hold? Like what do I want to teach my kids? What do I want them to be exposed to? And I don't want to have to live, you know, I don't want to have to live in a place that is just saturated with noise and distortion and busyness and, and stress. Stress is whatever you make it, right? It's your own perception, you know, and, and then have to try and move from this place and go out to nature to experience it periodically. Like, it just seems very backward to me. Um, for me, I think that all of us and, and, you know, this might be blue skying it or some people are going to go, well, it's not possible. Anything's possible. And I think that, you know, the, the traditional ways, no matter what culture you look at, was always everyone lived out on the land and there was a communal meeting space in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's the model that we need to get back to because everyone has their piece of nature, you're all living in nature. And so that's actually something that I'm trying to cultivate within my own life is, is to sort of say, you know, let me live out on the land. Um, I've set myself up, uh, a lot of my work is remote work now, so I don't actually have to go anywhere, I can work from home. Um, that goes for my practice, that goes for everything, right? But then if I do have to, I can come, I can come into the city, you know, that's fine. If I have to spend six hours in the city or a day or two days in the city, then that's great. But just, um, you know, that for me, like every time I go into nature, every time I take the kids out into nature, mm. they just, you can see the difference. You know, they tell you like, I want to live here. Mm -hmm. I, I feel different. You know, this is so awesome. And you kind of don't get that same, um, 
the same response, if you will, living in such a busy city. Mm. You know, interesting. Your kids have that response. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, shoot, every time, every time they take her out. Wow. Like, why can't we live here? Wow. Like, yeah, I know exactly. Why can't we live here? Yeah. Those up and comers, they need that then. That's, that's well, this is design. exactly it, right? You know, it's, it's it, for, for us who are a little bit older, you know, we're going to be the, the old generation in the next 20 years, 30 yeah. years. It's sort of like, what are we really cultivating? Like, are we cultivating more of a, you know, competitive um, money driven society where we all have to be, you know, accumulate this, this wealth and materialism to be deemed successful mm. or, you know, do we say like, whatever like that's that's really not what's actually important mm. um, so long as i have enough because we still live in the real world so long as i have enough to support myself and you know send my kids to school and do all of that stuff like enough is is good enough in that situation you know and you know i've always said um especially you know one of the sort of core values if you will is is kids you know when you buy them stuff right that 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 lasts for like five minutes it's just like if you go and buy a new car, you know, the, the new car feeling is great for a week and then it wears off and then it's just your car, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same thing with everything that we buy. Whereas if you provide kids and people with experiences, mm. they will never forget those experiences. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I think we should be selling, quote unquote, mm. is we should be providing and creating experiences. Mm. And so that's really something that I've done with my kids, is, you know, whatever, you don't, I don't need to buy you a bunch of stuff. You don't need it. But how about if we go somewhere? How about if we do this? You know, mm-hmm. we have an annual camping trip. Yeah, myself and my daughter. So every year we do one weekend where it's just the two of us, mm. and we hike in like completely off the beaten track, and we'll just spend a couple of days there. You know, by the river, swimming, doing whatever. That's awesome. But that's an experience. You know, she will never till the day she dies. She will always remember that experience. That's so, so cool. Wait, yeah, you and Izzy. And I, yeah, and and I just think that I just think that you know, in terms of the larger larger society. Um, at some point, we're going to have to face reality, and the reality is that the way we're living is just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, that, and that's just any which way you cut it, any which mm-hmm. way you want to explain it, it that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. Because we're not meant to live like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Unless technology comes along, which it is, but unless technology is no longer suppressed, and we can use that as a liberating tool, and I maintain a little bit of hope with that, but ultimately, we're a part of nature. Yeah. So we need to be a part of nature. Well, it makes me think, I mean, we need community. Like, as humans, we need community. We might not know that. For those of us that grew up, I grew up in the suburbs, right? And so I never really had a strong sense of community. You get little pockets, you get family, and you get the church community, and you get maybe the school community or sports teams. So you get pieces of it, that sense of tribe, but it's not cohesive. It doesn't pervade all of life, right? You don't live all of you. You don't share all of life with certain core group, which I find for myself, and I think you guys would appreciate this, and a lot of our friends all feel this call mm-hmm. to really like retry in a sense, um, mm-hmm. and uh, find a way to make that work in the modern day, right? And because we can't, like the sustainability piece for cities, um, even if we had, okay, technology to give us free energy and clean water, and all these things that are totally possible, if we're still living in little boxes, we're not expressing our humanness, right? We're not meant to live in that sort of environment. So I totally agree that cities are, uh, I think, going to become a bit of a relic after a few generations, unless they're completely transformed. Um, and it's interesting when you think about how cities began, right? It was literally, usually by force or by necessity, people leaving their land 
to go to work in the city because there was work. There's factories. You go in and you know do that stuff. Um, or the big smoke, as I've heard some natives call it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so true. It's just so true. It's like that disconnect, that lack of community, and that lack of connection to the earth is killing us. Yeah. I don't think we know how much we've lost. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Uh, I just wrote uh, a blog piece called uh, The Wisdom of Wildness. And, and it was a lot of reading Robert Bly and this uh, the new conscious masculinity meetup we had on, on wildness, the wild man archetype, you know. And, and what Robert Bly talks about in that book near the end with the wild man is he, he really says, you know, this, this wildness in our being, in our world, uh, we're so cut off from it that we're so distant from it, we don't even know that it's lost. You know, and he talks about how in every man's soul there's this hairy man with like long hair and like this savage primal wisdom who's living under the water which is the unconscious you know and like most men have no idea that's even there anymore whereas in the past it was exalted it was brought out of the water and it would become the teacher and the initiator which it is to to the boy that's who our john is right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so for me that one of the things we've lost is is community i'm just been thinking about that a lot lately how you know just this summer has been interesting for me because I've had a lot of interpersonal strife. You know, I've had to deal with a lot of gossip uh, as a victim and a perpetrator. And it's made me realize, you know, at the end of the day, we can just go to our box, you know, and, and sit at home with our Wi-Fi and order food and just live so isolated. And then issue that I've had with so-and-so, I can just kind of forget about it. Whereas I had a friend who lived uh, in the survival camp for a whole year. And it was all the, the primary reason work they would do is around communication. So it was like 10, start off like 12 people and they were, weren't even allowed to bring like, I think they were only allowed to bring like a toothbrush. They had to build their structures, everything. And they had to have like talking stick sharing at the end of each day because they realized if you don't keep those communication lines flowing, if a grudge starts to happen and you depend on each other, if you have a grudge with like Peter and Peter's going to get your food every day, you know, or for this week, that's his role. And he's got a grudge against you. That's going to cause a big kink in the chain of like flow of survival. And in the cities, you know, we are in such superfluity. We have more than necessary things, right? And those things get cut off so that all of a sudden we just get, I find I get backlogged with a lot of like begrudging feelings with people. And I'm trying to get on top of that, you know, and be a lot more communicative. Um, but yeah, as, as the natives taught us, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you all go around the fire and you would do a sharing, right. you know, just to keep that stuff flowing. And I think it's a real, it's a real challenge right now that we're all trying to figure out is like how to get those practices back online, you know, in a city, it takes will because you have to actually yeah. revolt yeah. against the way things are. Well, I mean, I think, you know, city living is really, it's, there is just so much going on at any given time. If you start looking at the at the the income cost of living gap, you know which is widening, mm-hmm. and all of that, like people are having to work a lot harder just to just to make ends meet, and working harder means you have to sacrifice more time. Sacrificing more time means that your time has to be spent wisely, which usually means that you're going to spend it on yourself, your family, your significant other, um, work, and whatnot. Which then sort of um, says, well, how much time do we have left over for? for other things right Mm -hmm. and the cbc actually it was pretty interesting they recently did a poll um on what people do with their spare time okay so i I found it quite interesting Mm -hmm. so what do people do what do canadians do in their spare time and uh what they found out was that the average canadian sleeps nine hours 
which is a lot. I don't know if I get nine hours. Yeah, but wow. anyway, I'm interested. <laughs> so nine hours. Um, they watch TV for five hours a day. What? Okay. Um, we're working for uh, I, th- I forget if it was seven, six or seven or something like that. And so what they figured out, long story short, you know, the numbers might not be exact, um, but they figured out, because this is the one that I do remember, that they spend an average of 41 minutes a day speaking to friends and other people. Wow. Okay. So in light of what we're talking about, 40 minutes a day um, connecting with other people. Now, that's in the modern world, right? Can you imagine, let's sort of um, flip it on its head and say, we were living in an indigenous culture, all right? where we depended on our natural resources around us. We had a fixed land base. We had a fixed, not a fixed population of animals, but we had to be, we had to really pay attention to what was going on around us. We couldn't overfish. We couldn't overfarm. We couldn't overpopulate. We couldn't do any of these things, right? So there's that, but then also, you know, what, what would happen? Like you would be forced in a sense to spend a lot of time with the people around you because there's nothing else to do. Right. Your, your, your existence is basically finding more food, preparing the food, taking care of the kids, the soil, whatever it is. That, that would be your existence, right? And it's kind of interesting when you sort of juxtapose those two things together because they are completely opposite. Like they couldn't be more opposite if you tried. Wow. You know, and indigenous cultures, like I've spent enough time with, with many of them, that is how they roll. That, that is how they are. You know, there's yeah. nothing else to do except be. Yeah, and and I and I love that all three of us are really aghast at the, like the five hours of TV because obviously none of us watch that much TV, and I think it's a really good sign because I think more people that we're connected to in the city, like in the conscious community, whatever you want to call it, yeah, people are not in that kind of um, realm of watching that much TV and only having forty one minutes. Which is great. You're starting to see this resurgence, I think, already of people wanting to just spend more time with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I see that in the exact dance scene and all this. Like, yeah, it's people wanting to go and dance together, but I think it's just people just want to be with each mm-hmm. other, and they're realizing that we're so deprived of that. And then you're seeing a lot more people who are in that nine to five world now coming out to these things, and they come to like one dance, and they're just like, their minds are blown because they're just like this exists, I can do this on a Friday night, I can actually go and just connect with people and like yell and release cathartically and do a healing ceremony. And it's like, you know, in a lot of ways, I think our line of work and stuff, we're, we're gonna be, we're already, I mean, pretty busy, busy people, but we're gonna be in much more demand, I think, as the shift continues to happen because people are starting to turn off their TVs, I hope, more and more and they, yeah, but it's, wow, that's crazy, I had no idea. Yeah, that's it is average. pretty crazy. I mean, people always say to me, well, because I, I, I threw up my TV about 10 years ago. I haven't owned a TV for that long. Me too. Um, and people always say to me, well, what do you do with your spare time? And I'm like, what spare time? I, yeah. I, well, what, 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 how do you have so much spare time? Yeah. Like, what are you doing, you know? And for me, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, I'm like all of us here, we're on a mission. Yeah. And we got the calling a long time ago, and we're just keeping on with that. And whether it's writing, whether it's learning more, whether it's, helping other people, whatever it is, like that is, that, that's what you do, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't leave a lot of free time left over, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's just, it's just so much more rewarding. Yeah, it's time well spent. Right? Exactly. And it's fulfilling and it's like, there's so much talk about happiness these days, right? It's like, oh, if you're in a relationship, is it making you happy? If not, get out, right? It's all this like happiness. Does your job make you happy? If not, get out, follow your passion. All these like 
cliches and things. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so concerned with happiness as much as fulfillment, mm -hmm. right? Is what you're doing fulfilling. If at the end of the day you feel like, oh, I'm glad to have spent mm -hmm. the day the way that I did. And that usually for me means that I've worked diligently at something, right? As well as connected with people and had some time for myself, but it's I've pushed forward some sort of project or some piece of work that I find significant. And so when you get people mm -hmm. sitting in an office typing away on whatever nonsense they're supposed to be doing for work, it makes, uh, I think it makes more sense why they just like want to drown themselves with mindlessness when they get out of that because they're just in that like zombie state, right? So they just want to. They just want to feel good. They just want to be happy. Well, it's it's mm. just um, I think that what you know in light of what we're talking about, what a lot of people have lost is also um, a sense of purpose. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's no real purpose, you know. I mean, what what is your purpose? Like when I tell people my story, they they're like, well, you know, you're a pretty interesting dude, and what's your deal? And it's like, well, this is what the deal is, and they're like, well, like I want to do that, you know. And it's <laughs> like, okay, well, go out and do it then. Well, I can't. It's like, well, why can't you? Well, you know, I got this, I got that, I got that on the go. And uh, I'm like, listen, if you want to change your, ch if we want to change the world, right? Obviously, we all know a cliche. It's going to start with with the individual, right? But I just think that um, that that sense of purpose, you know, I mean, people are starting to question what their sense of purpose is. Mm. But but beyond that, like, how do you define your purpose? Do you know what what are you going to go out and do like what what's your what's your piece that you bring to the table you know and and i don't have an answer for that i mean for i i'm sure that you would agree with me for us for myself and darren you know like that that period of intense travel that period of of spending that amount of time in that native community that really defined a greater sense of purpose for me anyway, and I'm sure it did for you as well. Absolutely. And so, and, and that's just, you know, it's not necessarily available to everyone. And, and I feel that, you know, I totally get that. Because how do you define what your purpose is if you went to school, you got great grades, you went to college, you then, you know, got your degree or whatever, and then you got the job, and now you're working the job, and yeah, you might be making all kinds of money, but then ultimately, you know, people are starting to go, well, is that it? Is, is this what it's about? Like, am I just supposed to make all this money and forever and ever, and then I just die with all this money? Mm. And people are really starting to question that. And I know because I have some very wealthy clients that come and see me. And, and that's exactly what they say. They're like, I'm not actually enjoying my success. My success, quote unquote. Mm. You know, so they're making all this money. They're doing the thing. But then they're like, what else am I supposed to do? You know? And the North American culture to me is just, it's the epitome of, of, of like, live to work it's it's the epitome of that and i find a lot of people are actually drowning and suppressing their purpose by overworking themselves mm -hmm. or by working themselves to death right mm -hmm. and and that's just i think that that kind of sums it up and a lot of the work i mean hey i work pretty hard like we'll work hard right but the work that i do brings me a sense of joy you know yeah it's frustrating sometimes yeah it's a little stressful because i'm too busy or whatever but ultimately at the end of the day i can sit back and say hey man wow like i'm following the vision I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And at the end of the day, I'm helping people. I'm making an honest living. It's a noble profession, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I and I feel for people, as I said, you know, I just, I, I can't actually, it's very difficult for me to get my head into that space, right? I mean, I've mm -hmm. heard other people, but as I said, I don't really have an answer for that. Yeah, know? well, I think you, you, the word mission, I think is really powerful for me because I did a, a podcast on, the warrior archetype called remembering the mission because 
this archetypal work I've been doing with the King War Magician Lover tradition, um, we usually cycle when I teach it, we usually start with the warrior because the warrior is about that part of us that is hungry for a mission to serve something higher. Uh, you know, serving either the king in our lives or the, the spiritual king, the spiritual purpose. And um, yeah, I think that, again, there's a lot of talk about loss in this talk, which is great because I think it's so important to really know the playing field, where we're coming from. And, you know, when I, when I teach that, that class on the work type, I talk about like, what is, what is the purpose of your average in this country, Canadian life, you know, and it's, it's vague. It's very vague. It's like, well, I'm, I'm a citizen of this country. You know, there's follow a sports team, uh, Tim Hortons commercial for some reason comes to mind. You know, it's just these, it's vague and it's like really trivial actually. And that, just stymies people, you know, because I, I call the workshop heroic consciousness. Cause I'm like, we need to bring online the heroic journey, which is essentially what we're all here to do. Be on a quest, be on an adventure, uh, with a sense of awe, you know, about life. And people are really hungry for that. And I see when, when I talk about this work type to men, especially, uh, and this sense of purpose, you see this all of a sudden this hungry beast show up in their eyes. And it's like hungry and kind of like in pain and desperate, yet it's also like it sees for the first time maybe this like greater sense of itself and purpose. And that is like to me the the whole thing about fulfillment is to be here to give to that greater mm -hmm. mission. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're 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 here to be on this amazing adventure of life. And I'm sure all of our lives are super fulfilling because we have that greater sense of, of mission. We're here to like uplift the world. We, we recontextualize ourselves. We've told ourselves a greater story. Um, and that's really important. And we need to somehow find a way to captivate people into telling that as well. Yeah, I think for a lot of, a lot of people, um, men and women for that matter, I think that they're too afraid. There's a lot of fear, you know, because, because what we're told to do here um, is is to conform. Mm. It's a very very conformist society, you know. When mm. you go to other places, like yeah, you know, indigenous cultures conform, but they conform to a different set of rules. You know, here we're supposed to conform to um, consumerism. You have to look a certain way. You have to do the thing. You know, it's like you got to provide for your family. You got and then, and all those things might be very relevant, but the thing that we're never ever told or or um, you know that never comes into focus. Mm. It's like, what's, what else is there beyond that? Mm. Like, what else is there after that, you know, or, or together with that? And do we have to, you know, why do, you have, why do we feel this need to conform? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that part of the reason why we feel the need to conform is because we're afraid of what people are going to think of us if we don't conform. And so everyone sort of toes the line and, and you know, travels on the same road so that we, you know, we, we don't feel like we're ostracized or we're alienated or anything like that. But ultimately... You know, the way I see it is, I've always said to people, it's like, be yourself, everyone else is taken, you know, which is a very mm. true statement. It's not really about you trying to be someone else. It's not you about looking someone else, oh, yeah, that's who I want to be. It's more about you dialing into who you actually are mm -hmm. and what is your purpose and and express that, you know. And, and I just feel like there's a lot of suppression, um, suppression and fear in just in the mainstream society, you know, where, where people are just so afraid to let out that beast, you know, mm. to, to be that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for both of us, um, you know, involved in, in different music scenes with a lot of overlap, actually, mm -hmm. it's, uh, 
you know, one of the things that was always so powerful to me, just having produced and, and DJ music for almost 20 years now, is to just see like new people come into the fold. And, and you know, when you're blasting out like, like rock and music, you know, it's like rock and roll, but it's not, right? And when you're blasting out conscious rock and music and you just see people, their minds just open right up. And they're like, wow, like I can actually let myself go here. I can scream and shout. I can just go, wow, this is awesome. You know what I mean? And they feel that, right? But when you when you don't have that available, and I'm not saying that's the only tool, you just find a lot of people, they don't even know it exists. They, they don't even know anything like that is out there. They're just doing the high school, college, job, family, crunch numbers. They're just doing that, you know, Absolutely. without actually having any clue that there is something way more just more profound, deeper, um, powerful, whatever you want to call it, inside of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is why we have to be like little weeds right now and just like break through the concrete and like bring these like ecstatic dances, these conscious festivals, all of these things, just like try and get the masses into this stuff. You know, I my, my dream would be that things like the Ohm Festival and stuff in the, in the summers to come, like they'll just be every weekend, there'll be things like that happening that'll mm -hmm. be like, just so known, you know, and really held by good people so that they're not distorted, you know, which mm -hmm. would be a challenge, but like really getting a lot more of the population and the mass culture. And, and I feel that's already starting to happen. Like the spiritual conscious culture is really starting to accelerate and it's becoming a, a form of captivation for so many people. I mean, I see mm -hmm. so many people going to Burning Man now and, mm -hmm. and a lot of people, it's like their first experience of something and they go and they just get completely blown yeah. to smithereens, yeah. you know, in a good way. And, you know, I just did this camp reset this summer too, which is a four day adult camp. And there was a lot of people there. It was their first experience of ever, you know, going somewhere with a bunch of adults and dressing up in costumes and dancing all night mm -hmm. and stuff. And, and you could just see it completely changed lives, like completely cracked people open. So mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of hope right now, you know, that people are really starting to infiltrate the system and, and slowly start to tear it down and shift it. Um, and at the same time, I think that's why we're seeing like people like Donald Trump show up because it's like, we're starting to really dig and detox on such a deep level. And we're starting to get like the slimiest, most poisonous stuff <laughs> out in the open, you know, which is why I, I love watching the geopolitical stuff as a macrocosmic microcosmic mm -hmm, thing. And like mm -hmm. the U S election to me right now is so interesting because you're seeing the charade is just being like yeah. torn down the corruption. It's like, wow. And it's great because it's causing a lot of. Americans to just be like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, to I, question, I want to question yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Which is I'm what we need, right? I mean, that's all it is. It's yeah. just a question. Yeah. Like whatever that is for you, whether you want to question something that's supposedly positive or negative or whatever it is, just a question. Like, you know, think critically. Right. Is, is really all that it's about. And it's, it's so critical. And it's not critical mm -hmm. in a negative light. It's just like, think for yourself. Yeah. You know, and I always tell it to my students. It's like, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to teach you how to think. Mm. there's a huge difference there, you know, because I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Like not everything I say is right. Mm -hmm. I don't know everything, mm -hmm. but I can only offer my own experience, my own learning, my own knowledge. That's all I can offer. And some of it will resonate and some of it won't. And you might go and take what you need and you'll go and learn from someone else and you take what you need there. And that's how mm -hmm. you form your own identity, your own mission, whatever you want to call it, right? Is learning from, from other people. Well, and that's what a real education is and traditionally was, right? Is teaching you how to use your own capacity and faculties and senses to make sense of the world and put things together and gain this level of understanding so you can see um, 
sort of the, the thread that ties things between, like the principle, like what's the essence of the thing, right? So in like physics class in high school, I remember they talked about first principles, right? So you get a problem and you break it down to first principles and you build it and you figure it out. Mm. But that's just not really taught that much. I mean, in our modern education system, which is like a, a relic from World War II factory training, um, it's remember these facts mm -hmm. and learn these basic things and we're going to test you in this standardized way and that's your measure of performance of intelligence. It's atrocious. One, yeah, it's one very tiny piece of intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. And it keeps you dependent on a master, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. don't think for yourself, just defer to the one above you. Creates the hierarchy, creates the bureaucracy, keeps that power structure in place. And, and, and that actually that actually happens, you know, not even just in traditional education or adult education. That actually happens in a lot of, um, what would I call it, S spiritual um, sects as well. Mm -hmm. the, guru. the gurus, the geishas, the whatever, you know, where it's, it's you, put, you put your power in something else that's above you, right? And if you think about it, it's like, well, that's actually very disempowering. And, and, and it can keep you like that for your whole life mm -hmm. where you're constantly searching, you're constantly acknowledging that you don't have, you don't have this thing, right? And I've got to listen to this other person. Whereas the real master, the true teacher will actually empower you and, and will say, you know, here's, here's some of it. Here's some of the knowledge. The rest you got to figure out for yourself. Mm -hmm. There you go. And, and I always, you know, some of my mentors, that's exactly what they did with me. Um, I would ask them, and, you know, and I would ask them questions and they would answer, they would answer, they would answer. Then they would get to a certain point and they're like, right, I don't have any more answers for you. I know the answer, but I'm not going to share it with you. Right. And I was always like, why? Like, come on, like, give it to me, you know? And they said, no, because if I give it to you, you will stop learning. Mm. Your hunger, your thirst for knowledge, your thirst for growth will stop because I'm going to give you everything. And so I've actually adopted that in my classes where people are, okay, how do I do this? Okay, then what? How do, no, no, that's it. There you go. That's where we finish, right? The rest you got to figure out for yourself because it, you, you got to keep that, that hunger. You got to keep it going. You know, as uh, Socrates said, um, I'll see if I can get the quote right. Uh, learning is not the filling of a vessel. It's the igniting of a flame. Ooh. Love Socrates. Which, which makes sense, right? Totally. If you think about it. It's not like I'm going to fill you up with this knowledge and then yeah. you go and you just spew it out and repeat it to someone else. And especially in the light of, in light of the work that we do, you, you know, it's this cookie cutter situation. You know, there is no cookie cutter. Like there is no one size fits all for anything, whether it's a spiritual discipline, whether it's, it's you know, physical health, whatever it is. You know, we have to start respecting that we're all a little bit different from each other. We all have slightly different needs. We live in different environments. We have different mm. genetics, different scars and wounds and all that stuff. And, and I, I really think that the, the teachers and the healers coming forward need to acknowledge that a lot more. And it's not easy. It's not easy to try and help someone in the, your own unique way for them, right? Because mm. you're sort of like reinventing the wheel every time. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, that I think is what what has to happen, right? Yeah, it feels like that. And uh, I mean, I'm just seeing all these parallels, right? This, the whole lighting of the fire, which is what the natives were doing physically, right? Going around and making physical fires, mm -hmm. and then symbolically, like the fire within the individual, mm -hmm. awaken the potential of the human. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and the whole thing on purpose, I think it ties in completely to the lack of the initiation, the lack of the rites of passage, right? Because Forgive, you know, I mean, I might not be exactly correct here, but from what I understand, those coming of age 
times and rituals were when you were bestowed with your purpose, right? It's like you yeah. are now an adult in this culture. These are your people. This is our land. And this is, you know, maybe not the whole thing, but this is what you're here to do. Or this is where you're meant to be. They would like yeah. scare you sacred. I think that's <laughs> the best way to look at it. They would, they would put you through an ordeal. Your initiation was supposed to be an ordeal. Some, some of it like, was rough, depending yeah, on the some culture. Was, some of it was pretty crazy. Yeah, you, you know? could die. You yeah, know? and and it was supposed to basically, it was a realization that you have like two births in your life, maybe even three if you look at death. But like, there was supposed, you know, when you hit puberty, you know, everything just leaps forward as far as growth of the body. But what about the spirit then? The spirit needs to be also compelled to grow forward. But what they realized is like what Stephen Jenkinson said is that humans don't just develop naturally you need to actually make humans and that's why these cultures realize they have to be involved in like helping to guide the psyche in this evolution and uh, i think in our culture we just like give our sovereignty over to the masters of our land and just assume they can do it for us but they can't that's why these traditional cultures are so important now because they realize their wisdom their understanding of the psychology of the human being is so profound and they recognize that boys and girls at around that age around 12 around there they need to put them through some sort of ordeal so that this huge energy that's all of a sudden growing in them is aimed. It's yeah. aimed on the yeah. right pathway, yeah. you know, because these are people who are going to be responsible for the society and they need to be inspired, you know, not just be like, you have to take care of things, but like you want to take care of things. Yeah, well, I mean, and that really comes back to um, defining defining a purpose, right? And it's not even, in that, in that setting, it's not really defining an individual purpose per se. It's actually saying, this is what the deal is, right? We live in this place. This is what needs to be done on a daily basis. Um, these are the challenges we might face, and this is how you got to deal with them, right? Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to do. We're going to teach you that. And th- that is a lot of what those rites of passage were, were actually about. Um, you know, it was, it was actually less about, okay, we have to acknowledge something outside of us. It was a lot more so than, right, you're, you're a teenager, right? Like you're hitting puberty. Cool. You're ready to do this stuff. Let's go, you know, and, and let's push on. And then as you got older, you know, so if you looked at traditional cultures, you would find that the men were really men. Do you know, what I mean? do you know and, and I don't know how I don't know how to define that, but you know, men were men, yeah. and they would do that, right? But now we sort of like look at modern culture, and there is no defining of anything really. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's like okay, so you grow up and you just let them grow, and that's it. And it's almost like you know, if you don't water the plant, it's uh, it's not going to grow well, you know. And if you don't shape it and guide it, it might grow in whatever direction it wants to grow in, which is fine. I'm all for freedom as well, but I think that as as um, you know, as, as parents, as the elders of the near future, we kind of need to nurture that a little bit more yeah. um, because that's not really happening like in, in modern society. Well, especially in young men, right? We can become very dangerous if we aren't given this sort of thing because we have that uh, inkling to want to do risky behavior and go mm-hmm. out and, you know, have fun and make a difference as it were. And I think this is where the military really capitalizes, right? On that mm-hmm. sense of young male, unguided sort of unbridled uh, aggression passion, aggression or, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. this desire because traditionally we'd be hunting traditionally exactly be, mm-hmm. you know and that's in our friggin' genes yeah well we'd that's be, only a few we'd, generations we'd, ago right so it's like yeah. still there you know, we'd be scrapping with each other we'd yeah. play fighting if you were mm-hmm. you know living in asia maybe you'd be mock sword fighting with the uh, with sticks and stuff like that and that's where all of that energies you know the aggression if you want to call it that that's where it would come out uh, yeah it, it is it is a really 
this is a really interesting topic for me because I've been thinking about this a lot lately and in the fact that I, I've been running this men's circle, you know, and there's controversy when you run a men's circle nowadays because people are really, really, you know, sensitive about gender roles and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I'm, I'm at a moment now where I'm still trying to navigate all of that terrain because I don't have all the answers. And I'm also aware that, you know, what the traditional culture would call the, the two-spirited people, yeah. which are, I guess, nowadays you would see like trans people, queer people in that realm. Um, these people are definitely beautifully getting, you know, liberated and getting uh, celebrated and honored in our culture. Um, but within that, I think we can't lose sight of the fact that, you know, one teacher once told me that, Freedom doesn't mean we can do whatever the fuck we want. No. Um, it actually means that we always have the freedom to know what is right to do, which was kind of confusing for me. But what he, what he meant, he broke it down, was that in any given moment, your heart is like your like honing device to truth. It always knows in a moment what is the right action. It doesn't mean you implement necessarily rigid laws. It's spontaneous. The pagans actually said laws should be spontaneous in the moment it'll arise. But your heart is this moral center. And the thing is, we are always free to connect to that. And the problem is a lot of people don't. They connect to their intellect only. And I think that uh, there's an, a really interesting evolution happening right now where we're, we're creating a tremendous amount of freedom in the sense that we're allowing everyone to express what they need to express. I think that's a necessary step. But I think the next step forward now is going to be the harder stuff. It's about like honing in on what are ethical things. You know, mm -hmm. what is, mm -hmm. you know, because for me, a men's circle is really important. It's really important because I feel there's something really uh, invigorating about tasting masculinity in all its depth. And I think in our culture, we don't do that enough. Actually, it's a very hypo-masculine culture. Machismo and all this machoism mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's actually not a hyper... It's a hyper-masculine, but it's not a balanced masculine. Like a balanced masculine is someone who, who actually honors women, who actually wants to honor the earth and stuff like that. It's, it's an insecure masculinity. Yeah, it's an insecure. Yeah. But in order for us to, you know taste that i think we need to dive a little deeper into what masculinity is and that triggers a lot of people you know? um one thing i, I want to just add to to the whole uh, freedom conversation Please, yeah. is uh, uh many years ago um someone said to me there is there is uh, freedom in discipline mm. which mm. makes you think right there is freedom in discipline and i always like sort of sat back as a young guy and i was like what the hell are you talking about freedom yeah, and discipline yeah, yeah. it's like two conflicting ideas and what i came to realize was that You know, as you're saying, we, we have this freedom of choice, if you will, and we have free will. And no matter what you believe in or if the creator is watching over you every second or you have a guru or you have a teacher, whatever that is, you still have free will. You can still do whatever the hell you want. But the, the, the real freedom comes from discipline, because if we discipline ourselves to conduct ourselves in a certain way, if we discipline ourselves to treat other people in a certain way, if we discipline ourselves to not stray from our mission, from our vision. And all of these types of discipline, right? It's not discipline where someone is standing there whipping you. Mm -hmm. It's not really that. It's actually self-discipline mm -hmm. where you can exercise restraint. You can exercise all of these things. And ultimately what happens is you are way more productive. Mm -hmm. You are way more fulfilled. And that is the real freedom. Yeah. And you're free you from know. all those temptations that come with an undisciplined life. Well, you're also just free from a, the country. Really, people who are acting free all the time with no discipline, they're actually a slave, usually to like addictions and what have you. Because, yeah, I think that's, and this is, again, going back to initiation ceremonies, I think they, they were trying to get young people to realize you got to take control of your life. You know, mm -hmm. and this is the point where we're no longer going to do it for you. And you've got to be 
Well, and, and yeah, that, and in those settings, that was not necessarily just for the individual. That was for the greater good. Yeah, totally. Because if the men were all like, you know, out like, you know, not not taking care of of the community, not taking care of the kids, not hunting, like everyone would starve and everyone would die, right? Yeah. So it wasn't just about okay, you know, you got to be this guy because you're a man, right? It's like no, no, dude, you got to buck up because otherwise we're all screwed here. Yeah, we're okay. all depending on exactly. But now what happens in this kind of society is we're not necessarily dependent on each other. Right. You know, this whole like, uh, you know, get connected, stay connected. Like, it's all bullshit. It's all disconnected. That, that's that's what Facebook does. That's what social media does. That's what everything does. Like all of these conveniences. You know, the internet I think has has probably divided people um, more than anything else. As much as we have freedom of, you know, access to information and all of that stuff, the actual connection with the physical person is no longer there. Mm. Because, as you said, you know, you can sit at home and you can run your whole life. My friend, um, a friend of mine back home, I went to high school with him. uh, When the internet first really started getting big, um, you know, and I think this would ring true, truer now, he was, uh, he was involved with some TV show or something and they said you have to stay in your house for three months and we want to see if you can survive three months you're not allowed to leave right here's a here's internet and go for it and sure enough the guy was like thriving no problem yeah right food delivery this that the other so now i mean and i think that's even more relevant now you could literally stay at home and you wouldn't even have to leave your door Because you can order everything, anything that you want, whether you want a new couch, whether you want a new computer, whether you want food, whether you need clothes, whatever, it's all available online. And what that does is it means that I don't go down to the store. I don't talk to the shopkeeper. I don't say, hey, man, like, I'm not sure what size I am. Can you like help me out here? That doesn't happen. Right. And not to say it's a black and white situation, but surely that has a lot to do with with the disconnect, you know. And we now get to hide behind screens. Yeah, I think it needs to be like, I I, I think there's a potential with all this technology, but you have to, that's where the discipline again needs to come in. Like we have to use this stuff in the right way. We can't get too imbalanced by it. Because I I mean, I studied media information and technoculture university. That was my, my, my BA. And this was like 98 to 2002, right? When the internet, like the advent of mm-hmm. it. And it was an exciting time because people were like, well, this could be the purest form of democracy. No governments can censor it, yada, yada, yada. In a lot of ways, I think there has been that beautiful, idyllic energy with the internet. I think it's created so much hyper-connectivity. I mean, someone said it's like, it's created this extension of the human nervous system. Because if, if a disaster happens, immediately we can feel it. And it's creating this really incredible power of empathy and knowledge sharing, wisdom sharing. But I think that we have to be aware that we can get lost in that, that there's that dark side to the internet well, well, as well. I think also not just that. I mean, you know, we're sort of preaching to the choir here because we're all standing around and maybe that's what we choose to tap into and that's right. our perception. But I think that the large percentage of the population, that's not the kind of stuff that they're necessarily right. tapping yeah, into. Totally. They're watching pop videos and whatnot on YouTube. Pokemon. And, and yeah. Pokemon, like, holy smokes. Anyway, story yeah. for another day, right? <laughs> but but but, but that, that's that's more, I think, what's actually happening out there, you know, and, and um, people are, are watching things and people are spending their time, which is what we spoke about earlier. They're not necessarily spending their time working on themselves or yeah, helping yeah, the greater yeah, good totally. or anything like that. And that's really what, that's, that's what I mean by that disconnect, right? Mm. Obviously in many other ways, I mean, it's great. I have family that live on the other side of the world that can see exactly what they do every day. 
Yeah. That's beautiful. That's awesome. I have friends around the world. I can I can keep in touch with them. And I think that's where the internet, social media and stuff like that is great. But I think that the mainstream stuff that's going on out there, you know, this perpetual fear that's rammed down our throat, the uh, sound bites that come in with no context mm. of what's, why this, why things happen, you know, how did it happen? Who's behind it? There's none of that, right? It's like, oh, this just happened right there. Bam, that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, why? Who? Yeah, well, it's interesting you're seeing with social media, like now Facebook, like a third of my newsfeed seems to be sponsored ads, right? Yeah. At this mm-hmm. point. So it's becoming YouTube ads, commercials, like all these things are being commercialized, which makes sense. I mean, when there's money to be made, people are going to make it. Sure. But uh, the other thing that, I mean, I'm totally right there with you. It's like we got to use the tool, not be used by the tool. Mm, yeah. Whether that's, uh, cannabis or chocolate or the internet or our cars or whatever it is any piece of technology or relationships you know anything can be out of bounds mm-hmm. but now that we're on the brink of virtual reality being available it's available now in your own home 100 you one of these things and you can have any experience really that you want with this so that's going to be another level like it's it, it's wow. scary to think about it's cool to think about because oh if you want to take a trip to the grand canyon put on your VR set and lose yourself in the desert for an hour. Mm-hmm. But it's like, then at what point does that become? Cause you already see it with like video game addiction, right? People would mm-hmm. rather spend their time in a virtual mm-hmm. world than be in the real world mm-hmm. because it's easier and it's more fun. It's more fulfilling and you don't have to like, you know, move. Or... You don't have to deal with people, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, there, there's something really dark there, you know? And, and I think, and I, I know from a lot of esoteric literature, they, they do talk about that more technology side of things. Like I know in the whole Rudolf Steiner tradition, they have a whole, I can't remember the lingo, but um, yeah, we have to watch out. Cause like it's, you know, the human mind is an open source. You know, this is one of the great shamanic teachings is like, you know, your, your mind is, your thoughts are not just your thoughts. There's other entities floating around, mm-hmm. you know? And I think humanity needs to recognize that some of this technological like the virtual reality thing like putting us on this track of being just in this total technological world like totally divorced from nature that's a really really negative path and i think people have to really wake up to the fact that there is kind of like a spiritual war happening behind the scenes well i mean so let's let me throw this out there and let's paint a picture right Mm -hmm. so we now are relying more than ever in our history we're relying more and more on technology, right? So everything is becoming automated. Everything is um, everything is technology, right? So if everything's becoming automated, that actually means that there's less physical jobs for people to do. So you're seeing tradespeople um, are, are, are tradespeople are about the only people that are actually still existing because you can't get a computer to come and fix your toilet, right? right. You can't get a computer to fix your, a hole in your ceiling or whatever. But other than that, everything is actually going the technology route. So a lot of the jobs that are being created now um, you know, if you're someone who works with their hands, if you were, um, you know, uh, let's say you you were a secretary. Yeah. A lot of people don't even need secretaries anymore. Yeah. It's like, whatever, I'll just have my software, my scheduling software over there. I got right. my voicemail over there, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So what that means is that there's a large percentage of people that are going to have a rough time finding work unless you are trained in technology. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, right now, everything's automated. We're living in this technological world, which is all powered by electricity. Okay. And when you start getting into esoteric teachings and whatnot, some people have said there might be a time in the not too distant future where um, the poles of the earth shift, right? It's happened before, right? It's happened before. Yeah. So now what happens if the poles shift, let's say, 
right? And the poles shift and now you wake up in the morning and you plug something in the wall and it doesn't work because electricity, the laws of electricity have completely changed now. Yeah. Okay. That basically means that our technology is done. Mm-hmm. Done. You, you, you cannot, you cannot yeah. plug anything. Your phone is done. You can't talk to anyone. You can't turn on your computer. Beyond that, there actually are, um, just to sort of add, there's uh, the, you know, cyber terrorism. And cyber terrorism, there's a lot of people who are super anti-technology and they have things called e-bombs, right? E-bombs are basically, you throw something, it's like a bomb that you throw into the, into the internet and it just fries a whole segment of the circuit. That's available. It's, it's happening right now. Like, has someone done it yet? No. But is the technology there? Absolutely. And I'm just, you know, not to be uh, you know, doom and gloom or apocalyptic, but we have to face reality that here's the thing, right? Technology is heavily dependent on power on other things, right? And we are now dependent on that. Yeah. Depending on nature, nature is just there. Yeah. Nature is there. It doesn't require anything. Mm. If I, and this is exactly why I'm moving back out onto the land because I know full well that, hey, off like two acres, I can grow all my food that I need. I can have a couple of animals on there. I can do my thing, right? And that basically means that the only thing I'm reliant on is nature. Mm -hmm. Sure, if it doesn't rain, I'm screwed. Fair enough, right? If it's too hot, the crops aren't going to grow, right? But that is a lot more of a natural dependency that we have relied on since our since our creation, since our evolution, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think that, you know, to, to sort of reiterate your point, going down that technological route where we're becoming so heavily dependent on it, I think it's going to backfire at some point. You know, I'm all about using technology. Holy smokes, I use technology in, in my own, in my work. And it makes me very, very efficient. And, it, you know, the, the people I work with, it really helps a lot. But I'm using it for the right purpose. Yeah, we got to be balanced. You know, it's like, because I mean, I think there's a lot of potential with technology. Like, and, and you look at like Tesla and, and all these amazing people who develop technologies that were more in alignment with the laws of nature, like creating abundant electricity for everyone. Just it's like modeling the free flow of energy in the ecosystem. Uh, those things are really beautiful. And, and again, going back to initiation, this, this is the thing, is that you're seeing people on the leading edge of carving what our culture looks like, our political leaders mm-hmm. and such. Mm-hmm. And none of these people have been, at least from what I can see, a lot of them have not been through initiations. And all of them are not on ethical good tracks of their life especially people in the corporate industry, you know, not sympathy, well, politicians. it must, it must be really hard to sustain impeccability and not get corrupted by the influences of that, that kind of power. But what we're seeing is these people leading us into just more and more insanity. Yeah. You know, like where we, we got to really like, we need to hit the brakes in a massive way on the, on the upper levels right now. There needs to be like, and I think our prime minister at the moment, you know, he's definitely said some good things and, there's definitely potential there, but we need some really heroic leaders who are going to come forward and say, like, we need to really, all of us, be initiated human beings and really realize, like, we need to use everything in balance. You know, we always have, we have to check in to that sovereign inside that's connected to spirit, that greater sense of wisdom, and really take a look at how we're using all this stuff. Because if we don't inquire, if we don't question things, if we don't learn how to think for ourselves then we're, we're very liable to be vulnerable and misusing all of these these technologies and such. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get a little bit libertarian for a second here. And, um, you know, politics and politicians, I like to call it politics, personally. Politics. Yeah, um, but, you know, politicians are the, it's the only job in the world where you actually have to have no training. 
Every single other job, you have to go to school, you have to have some kind of training to do the job, right? right. Politicians, no training whatsoever, no, you don't have to have any education whatsoever. I'm sure people wouldn't put you in power if you didn't go to school or whatnot. Right. Right. But, um, you know, I've always thought about leaders, you know, and it's an interesting one, leaders. What are, what are leaders? What does that definition really mean, right? And for me, in this day and age, I, I see that the current leaders, and I'm talking about politicians now, the leaders have been put there by mediocrity okay so in other words we all take a vote mm. right and hey out of 100 percent, you got 28 percent mm. that basically means that 28 percent out of the whole population actually put you there mm. which means that you are just there by popular votes but you're not actually what Speaking are you really doing right true leaders are actually innovators mm. true leaders break molds they go in a different direction and they they have the way that they work and their mindset is that they are trying to improve on what we have, but also take things in a different direction so that for the greater good, mm -hmm. right? That's what true leaders really do and true innovators really do. And you know, you mentioned Tesla earlier, like that's exactly what Tesla did. Mm -hmm. Tesla died a poor man and mm -hmm. all of his, his teachings and technology and stuff was all suppressed by oil companies and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But there was a guy who I think he was the greatest scientific mind we've ever had. Mm -hmm. I, I think more than Einstein, mm -hmm. some people would disagree. But the, the fact of the matter is he worked on this technology and developed it mm -hmm. because he wanted to give it away. He wanted to mm -hmm. say, hey, everyone, this is my contribution, right? Mm -hmm. and, and use it. And, you know, we need to sort of get back to that way of thinking if we're going to really, really cultivate um, Absolutely. lasting change or sustainable change, or whatever you want to call it. Right? And when you look at the, again, like I love these archetypes because they just provide maps for everything. You look at the king archetype, you know, the leader archetype and... Again, they, they say in connection with the warrior, you know, the warrior and the king have a big connection because the king is supposed to be the king queen is supposed to be this like ambassador to the divine, to the, the Dharma, the greater set, the Tao, which is the sacred balance. So it's supposed to be this person who's so virtuous, who's so disciplined, who's such a good warrior, such a good magician, such a good lover. All these archetypes are online in fullness. So then the king comes on at last. And it's just able to, at any point, know what is the right thing to do and not be afraid to say something is right and something is wrong. This is something I think a lot of New Age spirituality muddles up completely. Mm -hmm. When you look at Buddhism, Buddhism, the eight noble truths, it's all right thinking, right action. That means inherently, implicitly, that there must be a wrong, that there's a discernment that says, mm -hmm. no, you shouldn't do that, you should do this. And I think leaders are those people who are able to make those decisions, who are able to make those bold statements in the face of like, conformity of like a status quo that may say, well, I don't want to, you know, have a, uh, this technology like limited, you know, I want to be able to do whatever. Well, it's like the king and the queen says, well, no, because the wisdom says this is going to be bad for you and you may not see it, but I'm seeing it with the spiritual eye. And you really, we really need to, as a culture, look for these leaders, become these leaders ourselves, really, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's our right actually in this age for all of us, a true democracy is when everyone's king, queen. Exactly. You know, and for all of us to really feel that empowerment and then for those of us who choose to be leaders of culture, if, if this culture continues to exist. On sometimes such a level, so, sometimes you, know. you don't choose. Sometimes you get chosen, right? Well, well isn't that how <laughs> traditional cultures would work? And uh, from what I understand, the only thing that would disqualify you from being a leader is the desire to lead. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's because they know you're going to get corrupted. And they know you have this, like, uh, you're... you're you right. have the potential to get right. off track if you right. want to be that. That's a right? good point. But well, it's, it's uh, the person who is respected by everyone and is, and is put in that position. Yeah. 
probably yeah. even they don't want to do it, right? right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that, right? Because there's a couple of ways of looking at it. Um, when you really delve deep into into the, uh, shamanic history. So in other words, you know, what 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 the shamanic path um, similarities between shamans from around the world. And one of the common things that you'll see almost every single time is uh, two things. First of all, they would often face tremendous adversity. They would either be very, very sick to the point of being on their deathbed. Um, they would uh, th there would just be something right, whatever that mm -hmm. is. But they would face tremendous adversity and tremendous challenges. And then the other thing is they were they were chosen. They were always chosen, like they weren't chosen by, you know, by the people the, it, they were chosen by spirit, right? And this is your calling. And if they didn't answer the calling, spirit would go, okay, we're going to make you a little sicker. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's a problem. All right, cool. Burn down your house, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And so when you start getting into that, a lot of them will be like, okay, I have to acknowledge this. This is what I'm supposed to do. And so, so as you said, you know, a lot of them actually didn't want to do it. But once they stepped into that role, they were like, right, this is what I'm going to do. And they were not just the shamans. They were the, the top hunters. They were the, the people who looked after that community. They were the mediators. They were all of that stuff, right? And if you look at it now, um, you know, and you, you look at that model, that model was a very, very localized mm. leader. You know, the leader of one group might have been, you know, 10 kilometers down the road. And this was the leader of the next group. And I think that that is something that I'm a huge fan of is decentralization you know decentralization of economy decentralization of power and all of that and it's not just because i'm you know because i'm an anarchist or anything like that it's not really about that it's actually more of a of, of, a, of a real world solution because think about it like this right so we here we're 33 million people spanning thousands of kilometers from coast to coast and we go and vote for one guy Awesome, right? So here's my guy. Let's say let's you know let, let's let's take it one step further. We vote for a premier in in our in our province, right? So Ontario, which is where we are right now, um, 11 million people live here, right? How big is Ontario? Huge. I mean, for you to drive up to the north, like that's like a three day drive to get up there, right? Now, can you imagine like how foolish is it that we have one person to make decisions for everyone in the province or everyone in the country, because while his solution might be very, very good for a certain segment of the population, it's not going to be very good for others. Mm. So, you know, you, you sort of put this law in place or you put these things in place and you say, okay, right, everyone, we're all going to do this thing. And next thing you know, you've got the fishermen out in Nova Scotia and they're going, whoa, 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 hang on a second. That doesn't work for me at all. Like, that's going to kill my business. I can't provide for my family. And so what starts to happen here is because we have this, this blanket expanded um, control, is we actually start seeing that localized communities start to crumble. And this is why we're seeing the support local, you know, th that whole movement, right, is support local economies. Um, because there's a very real, like, sustainability piece there, and there's a very real-world solution there. And I think that, you know, again, modeling on, on native cultures, I mean, there was never a time where you had the chief of the natives for America. Yeah. That never, ever existed, ever, you yeah. know. Everyone was responsible for their community and they would sometimes cooperate and sometimes they wouldn't cooperate. But ultimately, they stayed strong as a smaller unit in their immediate vicinity because they understood their land. They understood mm -hmm. their animals. They understood the lay of the land, right? They didn't know what the hell was going on on the other side of the country and, okay, yeah, everyone, let's make this decision. So, you know, again, coming back to leaders, um, I, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. I, I'm not sure. Um, it's a nice idea, 
but I think that moving, you know, again, you're going to find there's a huge movement back to the land. There's a huge movement of people our age, a lot of them even younger, moving out of cities and going back to the land. And when you get out there and you start talking to people, you find that although they're not living in this community, like, hey, we all share two acres, um, they're still living in a community where I got my farming buddy, he grows potatoes and he's, you know, 10K down the road. I can rely on him if I need something, right? We go and sell our stuff at market or we meet at the market on the weekend. So we're not necessarily in each other's lives 24-7, but we all know that you're there, we're there to lean on, we're there to help. And and that's that, that happens out there, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas here, I don't know, not so much. Yeah, yeah, and you don't you don't feel that it's nice to lean on people, you know, it's nice to and it's nice to be leaned on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think we need yeah, we need all of these things. Well, can, can you imagine a world where, you know, and this is something that I've, I've mentioned in my class routinely, can you imagine a world where everyone lived to support the next person? Mm. People would say, oh, that's kind of dumb because, you know, you're screwing yourself and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, well, someone would be looking after me, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, you're taking care of mm-hmm. I'm, I'm living to support people around me, right? And and if we were all living consciously, we would all be supporting each other. So no, no person would actually ever be left wanting Mm-hmm. or needing right mm-hmm. and um there's uh th- there's a, a native um african concept which is called ubuntu i don't know if you oh, guys yeah, have heard ubuntu yeah which is contribution it's a word for contribution right and the ubuntu party they've dubbed themselves a political party but they're actually way more than that they've actually um they're they're sort of moving their agenda forward which is you know a moneyless system where again like that's blue skying it but when you look at it it's it's pretty pretty epic in its uh, in its thinking and its architecture and you know if you you think about it that way right so as kids are growing up you, you see what they grab what they gravitate towards right so mm-hmm. instead of sending them to school it's like well here we're part of this community you really like fixing cars okay cool here come I'm a mechanic I'm going to show you how to fix cars and so by the time the kid is 13 that kid knows how to fix any car but the way that we work it now which is really a form of control I think is you got to go to school, you got to do all of the testing, you do all that stuff, then you got to go to college, you got to do that. And by the time you finish anything, you don't know how to do shit anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Because now you can't get a job because you don't have experience, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like this weird, um, this weird setup that we've got. Whereas in a contributionist society, you sort of look at what are your skills, how how can you best Contribute. be involved yeah. in the community? What yeah. is that? Whether you're an artist, whether you're a musician, whether you know, if you think about like when. Let's say we have a storm here and um, we lose a bunch of power. Are the politicians coming out to fix that? No, the politicians don't come and you know, put the lamppost back up and all that. It's the, the electricians, mm. the people who work on that. So, so here, like, like, let's do away with government and all of that stuff. And let's actually have people who are contributing to that. And it's like, what's your piece? If all you do is just make sure that we have power, that's awesome. If all you do is just fix all the roads, that's great. Mm-hmm. But what starts to happen now is, oh, I need to go and see a doctor. Sweet, you just go to the doctor. Great, because what does he do? That's all he does, right? And so you start connecting all of these pieces of the puzzle together where in a true con- contributionist society, and they've actually done this, there's 3,000 people that, that are living in a contributionist society right now in at, at Ubuntu headquarters. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way that they did it was they said, you know, we're obviously not foolish in the sense that we can just go ahead and say, hey, let's buy a piece of land and let's all go and move there and forget about money, right? You have to transition. And so the way to transition is that you basically say, well, how about if I got, 
let's say 100 people together, okay? Get 100 people together and all you have to do is we need you to volunteer your time five hours a week. Basically, you just got 500 hours of labor. How many full-time jobs is that? I don't know, a lot, eight or nine full-time jobs. And so what you do is in that volunteer time, you start building infrastructure. You start you know, tapping into the water, like you build that stuff, right? And as you move forward, this is what they've done. As you move forward now, some of those people become full-time. Mm. And more people become full-time. And then what they've done is they've actually, the model is, is really great. They basically said, you know, um, if you're in that community and you've got a whole bunch of farmers around you, let's say, and they're all selling their goods. And people go, well, now what are you going to do? Well, because I didn't pay to grow any of my stuff, I can sell it for dirt cheap. So all I do now is I set up my farm stand and I say, oh, he's selling it for five bucks a pound. Sweet. Dollar a pound right here. Guess what's going to happen? Everyone's coming to you and you're going to force their hand. So soon enough, they're going to have to start um, charging less. And in theory, they're actually going to have to join because they're going to have that's their contribution right so it's kind of a cool concept and it's actually happening i mean i, I know for for that particular organization they actually have politicians running in bona fide elections around the world now wow in the uk mm -hmm. in local elections um all over the place this is michael tallinger isn't yeah. that his name yeah 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 who's a very interesting guy yeah um, very he's, interesting. he's very yeah very forward thinking dude yeah. um but anyway i mean and it's not to say that that is the solution it's more just to highlight that it's a very, very interesting concept mm -hmm. um, where, you know, we're, we're, we're not driven by things that are it's just It's good and radical, you know, because we need to be radical right now. We, we are really suppressed. We are very controlled by our fear, you know, and there's like really, really intense challenges. So we need some radical leaders. Well, yeah, and I like that. And it's like, it's not necessarily the way, but it's a way, right? And we have to start experimenting like what I always tell people with health, it's like you got to become your own experiment, right? Yes. Your own N equals one case study, as it were. Yeah. Um, and we, so we need to do that with communities, right? Because there's going to become a time, potentially, where it's like, okay, it's too late. We're not ready. Yeah. And we die or whatever happens. Um, so it's, it's, I always love hearing about these things and seeing different eco-villages opening up and permaculture this and conscious community that and all these different pieces that fit in. And I want to just jump back on the fear piece and just, um, because when you, when you understand our evolutionary past, right. And our tribal history, you understand why that fear of being judged and being uh, criticized and ostracized is so powerful because that would have meant death, right? Yeah. If you're in a tribe and you do something that, that puts you at everyone's bad side and they just say, okay, you got to deal with yourself. Like you're not going to last very long on your own in the wilderness. Most mm -hmm. of us, at least. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like hardwired into our biology is that fear, right? And so, but for the modern day, it doesn't make sense anymore. But so coming to, to grips with that and uh, not being controlled by essentially your, your, your biological fear response, but just recognizing, oh, that's just this, you know, that's my, that's my meat suit acting up. Um, <laughs> but I don't have to necessarily listen to that or, or, or stop moving forward because of that. Rather, I can recognize that that's a good sign for my growth, right? Because the fear indicates an area of growth and then step powerfully into that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge thing, like being humble enough to like accept feedback. You know, I've been talking with my partner a lot about that this summer. We've had a lot of conversations about feedback loops, you know, because nature exists with feedback loops. If you're doing something wrong or inefficient in nature, there's going to be some sort of biological feedback loop that's going to curb that, that's going to control that. And as, as humans, we're obviously very conscious. It's much more complex with language and stuff like that. But I find that people don't give each other good feedback. There's this lack of assertiveness. It's a lack of a healthy form of aggression, you know? And I've been seeing it in the conscious community as well, where people are acting out, they're acting inappropriate in whatever ways. There's been a few issues with sexual abuse and rape that have been coming up lately. And it's like, you know, we've got to really realize this is the whole men and women circle coming together as guardians, you know, to protect. We have to protect what is sacred on this land. But in order to do that, we need to give each other good feedback. We need to step up and I know my greatest friends are the people who, when I'm acting out, will come up to me, despite the fact that I make it reactionary, uh, because they know that the ethic is really what's more important, you know, in keeping me online. And um, that does take a lot of will, you know, and especially as men, because I've seen in our culture, we're, t we're taught to fear each other. We're taught to fear the violent male. You know, you think of all the violence we see, especially if we're young and watching TV, a lot of it is violent men. And so we're just in, we're just constantly imprinted with this fear that we're going to get violated somehow if we speak our truth, if we show up and act very free and, and are assertive to one another. And we just gotta we gotta we gotta power through that, you know, because it's really and there, and there's a lot of skills to that. I think nonviolent communication is really powerful, like learning different ways to communicate with someone coming from a source of compassion, because when you can actually compassionately tell someone, you know, and help them and guide them in in a place where they're blind. Uh, that can be so valuable to that person. But yeah. how often in this culture do we just say, uh, I'd rather not say anything. Because we can hide behind the screen as well. Well, exactly, yeah. say, hey. So yeah. I'll, I'll tell, you, tell you an interesting story about, about Izzy, my daughter. Last week, she, uh, she goes off, and we're, we're trying to do more of the free-range parenting, where I'm trying to get her out, like, walk around outside. It's fine, you know, you just turn nine, but it's okay. You can walk to the store you can walk to the park it's okay you can walk around the block mm. just to sort of you know get her used to that and so anyway so she had a she was playing with her buddy at the park and she came home to get her swimsuit so she just walked home by herself she picked up her swimsuit went back and her and her friend had a huge falling out at, at the time so like 10 minutes later she rolls back up at the front door and she's in tears oh so-and-so was being mean to me all of this crazy stuff right and i was like well what the hell's going on like you're really really upset you know and uh, so I took her inside. I'm like, you know, sit down. It's okay. It's fine. Don't worry. It'll, it'll sort itself out. And then, then the friend rolled up with the mom. And so she said, I don't want to go to the door. She said, I'm not going to do it, right? And it kind of made me think. I'm like, wow, like this is, this is how adults act. But this is, it's something that's almost like ethereal and non-tangible that just gets passed down, right? Mm -hmm. And so she didn't want to do it. And so I said, look, you, you got to come to the door. I'm like, this is just, you got to face it. Like, no worries, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. I'm like, people have, people have disagreements all the time. We, we always disagree and we, we might have a, a scuffle with someone or whatever, but it doesn't mean that that has to be the be all and end all. Like, that's the end of it. You, you need to learn how to resolve that. And so I said, come, you know, and I said, if you don't want to talk, that's fine. You don't have to talk now because you're upset. So anyway, I chatted with the mom and I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever shit happens, right? It's okay. And she's like, yeah, no worries. You know, we still love you. And course we love you guys it's great and so uh, she left something at their house they live very close so later on we took a walk and I said come we're gonna go pick up your stuff she's like no I don't want to go I said come 
we're gonna go. And sure enough, you know, we get there and grab our stuff and I just left them. I just left them to be, right? And it was interesting because all that happened was they immediately just sort of, I think subconsciously realized that whatever they'd been fighting about was petty and it wasn't, didn't really matter. And they just went on just being best buds, mm. you know, mm. and just carrying on playing and doing their thing. It's like, okay, cool. See you later. And so I said to her afterwards, I'm like, see, that wasn't so bad, right? Can you see how because you went there, because you spoke to her, and because you guys made up, now you still have a friend. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine what would have happened if you decided not to go? Yeah. Then you, you, you might never have seen your friend again. Yeah. And I think that that's like a powerful teaching for, um, for, powerful. for, for adults as yeah. well. You know, I mean, we do that so often where, where we can't engage in constructive um, criticism or constructive feedback or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And say, hey, you know what, man, you did this thing and it really, like, really upset me or whatever. But, you know, can you can we talk about that? And people just don't do it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it, 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 for me, it signals just like uh, a lesson for all of life. Like, take a little bit of uh, discomfort now for you know peace later, right? Mm -hmm. Face face the issue, face the demon, eat the bitter greens, drink the medicine, like whatever <laughs> it is. Do the little bit of discomforting thing now. You know, push yourself in the gym, whatever it is. Sacrifice. Um, yeah, sacrifice your comfort yeah. now for strength and peace and a greater connection later, mm -hmm. right? So but in, a, in a culture of, you know, instant gratification and yeah. perpetual seeking of pleasure and comfort, that becomes a very uh, hard thing to do. And the same thing I've noticed, I mean, when I was young, you guys probably saw this with your friends, especially young boys, you get into fights, like physical fist fights, but then after, you're best buds. Yeah. And I, yeah. I find for men, for anyone, um, engaging, whether it's an actual fight or just like sparring in a martial art, you really push each other to see what you're made of. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this beautiful exchange. And that person then is like a brother to you. And it's like, yeah, we've been through this thing. Mm -hmm. We've pushed each other. And now we are like that much more closely connected. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, I feel like pieces, and we talked about this a little bit, the last conscious men's circle, mm -hmm. and we're going to experiment with this, is bringing in a bit of like, safe sparring wrestling some sort of physical aspect to to build that brotherhood to build those those bridges right because i'm all for coming and sitting and discussing and sharing but we gotta like we gotta use our bodies yeah, we gotta yeah. use that physicalness for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. So you're going to turn it into a fight club? While yeah, I think so. Darren's, Darren's going to Europe for his tour. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to oh experiment boy. with a little bit of jiu-jitsu and wrestling or oh my God. something. I see. You get ready, get ready for when you get back. I'm back when we're going to broke a bone too. Yeah, 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 everyone's injured. Like, what the hell? There's like lawsuits. Like, oh my God. Yeah. You I love you, brother. Yeah. No worries. Oh yeah. Crazy. So, so we'll see. We'll yeah, see. We'll see. But um, before we wrap... I just have a couple, couple quick questions. They don't have to necessarily be super quick answers, but um, and since there's two of you, I'll say I'll say maybe one or two of um, what's a top teacher or book or something that's been very formative for you that you would just share. Well, yeah, <laughs> out of well, the hundreds lots, that I'm lots. sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess just because it's timely, I'll just mention Iron John by Robert Bly. Like that is just. For me, it's the Bible on masculinity and like all men and women should read it because it's steeped in mythology, which I think is a lost art. Uh, and he's just an incredible, on a literary level, incredible writer. And uh, yeah, my partner and I, we just listened to the whole audio book while we were driving around last week and being up north. And she just got so much out of it too. So 
that book is really, 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 really profound. Yeah, I would recommend it to anyone. Um, well, it's really a tough one for me to answer because there's been a lot of books that have uh, that have shaped things. I mean, I, I guess it really depends on what the topic would be of the book, you know, because there's a lot of books that have like really... Yeah, whatever comes to mind. It could be parenting, it could be health, it could be... Um, there's a great book. Um, not many people know about, about it. It's called... Um, uh, Partners in Passion. That's what it's called. Partners mm -hmm. in Passion. Um, I'm strapping my brain here to try and figure out the author. I forget his name, but I've, I've met him and I've done actually some work with him. And um, Partners in Passion, go and look it up. He's an English guy that lives in New York. Um, and it was, uh, at the time, I, I was really going through a lot of like relationship stuff. Uh, got divorced, had a crazy girlfriend. And, and whatnot and um, reading that book like really it, it's based a lot on the ancient um, Egyptian mystery school teachings uh, there's also a lot of energetic stuff um, and then there's just a lot of like real world tangible stuff right and I just it, you know a lot of people nowadays might sort of go well it's very gender dividing and whatnot but I think there's a lot of truth to that as well because you know we have to face the fact that men and women are different like but anyway yeah we're still human beings we still have the same you know organs and whatnot but ultimately we are different and i know that because for me anyway i can see the difference in having a son and having a daughter like from a very small age i mean he's only eight months old now and and he acts like a little dude you know he gets my daughter never ever got like that and so it's kind of interesting right but what it does is it's not really to say that okay man you're like this and woman you're like that and that's how it's going to be it's more right. to say understand each other and understand that when you are together, and it doesn't even have to be men and women, it can be men and men, it can be women and women. It's the energetic polarity. There's the yeah. polarity, but also the, the coexisting, right? So so the being together, what does that look like in the energetic realm, right? Cool. And so reading that, it was it was uh, it was at the time was quite uh, was was quite the um, quite the interesting book, I got to say. Hmm. Yeah, um, I pulled it up here. It's uh, by Mark A. Michaels and Patricia Johnson. Mm, different uh, no, different book, different yeah. Okay. Partners in Passion. Um, it might. Mark Michaels. Mark no. Michaels. No. No. Well. Yeah. I'll see if I. I can either way, I'll, I'll find that. We can find that yeah. after, and cool. uh, and I can I can share that with you. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. And other than that, I mean, there's just been so many, right? Uh, for for me, I'm not really much of a of a, of a book guy. Um, mm. People always like, well, you know, how did you know all this stuff? And for me, it's I'm an experiential kind of person. Um, I've learned from people mostly. Um, sitting down and talking with them. Uh, yeah, I read, but I don't know. I think the first book I ever read was in my mid-20s, mm. um, cover to cover. I used to cheat on my English exams. <laughs> I would ask my friends what the book was about and then go and write the exam and pass it somehow. Nice. And yeah, just not really not really into that, right? Mm. Um, maybe that's why the music and the, the audio side of things is a better way for me. Nice. Um, but I've obviously read a ton of books now in my later life, and sometimes I don't really get co get cover to cover. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll get to a certain point. I'm like, cool, I got it. I got, got the message, got the gist. Awesome, yeah. you know. Um, another book that I will um, that I will put out there, which is quite current, is um, it's more of a health book, but it's you know it's been interesting reading it. I've, I've read it. You've read it as well. Is um, the the bulletproof diet? Mm. Yeah, interesting because of you know it, it's almost like. From a health perspective, it's good, but then from an environmental perspective, maybe not so great because it's you know meat and veg, 
right? So a lot of people, my vegan and vegetarian friends would be like, well, it's garbage, right? From a health perspective, it really works. And, um, and I just found that, you know, it's very rare these days for me to read health books where I, I really don't read that many of them anymore because I just find that people are spewing out the same thing that we already know. Mm -hmm. And this was one where I actually learned a fair bit. You know, there was a lot of new information, a lot of stuff where I sort of set up and went, well, that kind of makes sense. Like, that's interesting. interesting. Right? I should check that yeah. Out. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it really for, from my side. Okay. And then one other question that I like to ask people is what's one thing you're either currently or would like to let go of? let go of yeah something you want to move past transcend simplify i mean for myself i find moving towards simplicity is sort of the goal right this like minimalism simplicity refining down to the essentials and i find in this culture of like adding like so many podcasters here okay what's the top three tips and what's the top three books and like i like that stuff but i like to flip it like what's something yeah. you can let go of mm -hmm. Um, I think I'd like to let go of, um, some of my busyness, actually. I'm <laughs> super busy. And I think this summer I really like set an intention that I was going to like spend much more time in nature. And I did, I succeeded in that. And it's made me a lot less stressed than I was. I think I didn't realize how stressed I was, you know, and I think part of the challenge is I love what I do, you know, and I'm my own boss. So it's like mm -hmm. hard to like put that like deadline on myself to say no yeah. no more work after this time but i think i'd like to let go of that i think i have a bit of that achievement culture thing working in me which i think it'd be which is good, good. Yeah, which is good. good yeah but i think i need to like yeah simplify it a little refine it a little so well, you, you, you and i should talk because i figured that part out i, I, oh, I, yeah? I stopped the busyness uh, a long time ago um because i realized that i was this doing, was all the I, online I was, stuff. I was doing 12 to 16 hours wow. a day, no problem, and mm. super into it. Like, don't get me wrong, super into it, super passionate, but kind of realized that other stuff in my life was starting to not be so great because I was doing that so much. And so now I'm at a point in terms of busyness where I, I can make myself extremely busy or I can make myself extremely quiet. And so what I'll do a lot of the time is I'll actually, I'll have like two or three days a week where I'm solid. I'm talking, like tonight I'm working until uh, 10.30. Okay. And seeing people and helping people this evening. And so, so, but tomorrow I'm not doing anything. So you kind of have those days, right? And, and it took me a long time to figure that out, that ebb and flow, because you, you then start getting into the scarcity mindset, mindset where you work for yourself and it's like, well, you know, if I don't stay busy all the time, I'm not going to have enough money. And it's like, well, hang on, think about it differently, right? How about we, we be busy for three days and then the other couple of days of the week, you're working from home, you're taking it easy, you're still getting stuff done. And so it's just a different way of, um, and now as well, like I actually turn things off um, for a lot of the summer. Um, I haven't really worked much the month of August at all. I just said, right, that's it. It's the last month of summer. Um, see ya. And so I make sure that all my clients um, get onto programs and stuff that they need to be on. And then I just schedule them all. So my busy period now, like I'm coming into a crazy busy time uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, so it, it's it's totally doable, but I totally get it. Uh, yeah. Working for yourself, it's really hard to sort of shut that off and define those boundaries, right? Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, letting go, it's it's kind of a hard one. I think for me, the uh, I, I think the what I would want to let go of most is probably limiting ideas, like limiting beliefs. Right. And it's a hard one because I think a lot of people suffer from limiting beliefs. 
And it's not limiting to the point where, in my case anyway, it's like completely debilitating. Like I'm still having a great time. I'm still doing all those things. But I think that when, you know, when you're a person who has great aspirations, you, you can sometimes set the bar a little high. Mm -hmm. And then things get very overwhelming from there. And so, you know, for me now, it's like, like my, my business and that is going pretty good. But the next thing is figuring out how to relocate from here out into the country. And, and logistically, that's a, a lot for me because I've got a daughter that's going to live in the city. So I've got to not move too far. Mm. I've got to find daycare for uh, for a kid. It's the purchase of another vehicle. So it's more just like, like you know, tangible, real world kind of stuff. But then you start thinking about it and you're like, okay, so then I want to be more sustainable. Okay, sustainability is going to require this, this, and this. And whoa, how's that going to interact with work? How's that? So you start getting like, it can, you can really go far down the rabbit hole with that. And so I think for me, that's something that I really got to learn to not, not look too far into the future and, and sort of look, you know, just into the near future. And also coming up with more of a game plan, you know, not necessarily trying to take it all on at once. And my wife helps me a lot with that. She's she's the uh, she's the grounded, the very grounded person um, mm. in the family, and she th that's what she does. You know, her work and stuff is very long range stuff, and so she has the long range foresight. But she also realizes you got to do things in chunks, right? You do it this step, okay? Then when we finish that, we do that. And I think for people like ourselves, when you work for yourself and you've got multiple streams of income, you've got multiple things going on, it's very easy to get scattered in your thought mm -hmm. and, and, and then get overwhelmed and then go, oh, I don't know if that's going to happen, right? Yeah, totally so yeah, so that's something for me is, is just um, pulling in the reins a little bit and, uh, and, and knowing that whatever I want to achieve in life is totally possible. Like I know it's possible. I have all of the skills, everything's in place to make that happen. It's just a question of stepping through the doors and saying, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be some uncertainty and there's gonna be things that are not gonna be very clearly defined. But that's part of it, right? You know, if everything was guaranteed, life would be pretty boring. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I just wanna take this a second to acknowledge you guys, right? For on the one hand, we have Brett, who's a father, raising a family, going to get back on the land, been fighting the good health fight and nutrition fight for years. Mm -hmm. And so just thank you for all your work that you've done in that regard. Um, and all the best with the move out into yeah, the country. Thank you. Yeah. If there's any way I can contribute or come to camp on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen. Don't worry. There's, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's ideas. Um, they're they're, they're going to happen mm -hmm. at some point in time. Nice. But. Nice. Yes. And then Brother Darren, for, uh, for the work of the... I mean, like the, sh the modern day shaman, healer, musician that you are and just how you show up and bring people together and create a space for people to really get into themselves and open the mind and the body and unleash the power of the heart. And just mm. all that work has been, uh, it's been a huge, huge benefit in my life. So thank you, brother. Thanks, brother. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Very eloquent. Awesome. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. Totally. And I hope we can... Uh, Maybe have some future episodes going. Sure. We'll have to get some feedback. If so, if you made it through this, if you made it through this uh, almost two-hour podcast, <laughs> we thank you. We hope there were some valuable shares and insights, and uh, any feedback is welcome. And I'm going to have links to everything we discussed on the show notes, uh, as well as links to Darren's stuff online, links to Brett's stuff online, if you want to dive deeper into that. Um, so until next time. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, have a beautiful day.
fresh from the evening Dreaming about all the homies I believe in I have so much time to think I got sisters who are mothers and brothers Who are fathers to me Against the skies, illegal. 